Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Soft Underbelly. I am your host, Eugene Weaver. And if you're listening, then you know this show is all about horror movies and exploitation movies and gems in the rough and movies that should be seen and uh, movies that have been seen by yours truly. And today I'm going to continue on with uh, what I was uh, what I was doing last episode, and that is going over my top 100 movies of all time uh, that that actually we're doing right now on my uh, other podcast that I co-host, uh, Movie Freaks. So uh, last episode I only made it to number, I believe it was 71. I stopped there. So... Uh, I just I have a feeling that I'm not going to get uh, a whole lot further as well uh, as far as wrapping it all up. I was hoping to just kind of do a really brief rundown and then uh, be done in one episode. But that did not happen, and it's probably not going to happen today either. So without further ado, let's get, let's get going. And also, if you want more in-depth discussion on the movies on this list – Please make sure that you do listen to Movie Freaks because we we break it up into uh, uh, ten movies on the top one hundred uh, per episode. Whenever it's it's uh, that time to to do it because we we don't do it every week. This is a once a month type of thing. So anyway, tune in there to hear more uh, more in depth reviews of these movies. Here it's just a brief recap. So uh, starting at number seventy, we have. Arnold Schwarzenegger in Total Recall. This is obviously the original, not the remake, which I must say the remake is not bad. It's uh, it's somewhat forgettable, but it was harmless, big budget sci-fi fun. Uh, now, on the other end of the spectrum, though, is the Total Recall original from Paul Verhoeven. Uh, I think is a masterpiece. I saw this in the theater. And I loved it then, and I think it still holds up. The miniatures are great in the movie. The the uh, practical effects from, I believe, Rob Bottin are amazing. And Sharon Stone was really good in it. Obviously, Schwarzenegger, uh, it's a great movie. And if you haven't seen if you're listening to this show, this uh, most of these movies, if you're listening to this show, you've probably seen them. I will say that Total Recall, the original, got a, uh, a newer Blu-ray release other than the... Uh, I mean, when the Blu-ray format first came out, they had a Blu-ray release of it, and supposedly the transfer wasn't so hot. Well, they redid, uh, they remastered it and re-released it, and it looks and sounds stunning. So make sure that you pick that one up. Great movie. 69 is Adam Green's Hatchet. I've seen this movie numerous times, and I never grow tired of it. It is funny. It's extremely graphic and gory uh, with practical effects. Uh, Kane Hodder plays the killer, Hatchet, and uh, it's just a load of fun. It's just a very, very well-made, great throwback to the uh, early 80s slasher movie, done better than almost any other attempt thus far. And There has been a lot of attempts to you know, capitalize and cash in on that early 80s uh, slasher craze. Uh, Hatchet, I think, gets it probably the best. So... Another one to check out. Next up, 68, is The Blair Witch Project. And while this is not the the first found footage horror movie, that would be Cannibal Holocaust, this is still 
a this one here kicked off the craze in the late 90s. Actually, this came out in 1999, and from that point on, uh, tons and tons of imitators and uh, uh, even going into other genres of found footage uh, came out. I'm even Chronicle. Uh, Cloverfield. There's so many found footage movies out there, and a lot of them are really good. I am actually a big fan of found footage movies, uh, if done right. I think that the that it's kind of played itself out, but there it's one of those things where if there's still a good story to tell, it can still work. Uh, a great example of that, I think, would be The Taking of Deborah Logan. It's on Netflix, and it is truly scary and very, very well made. And it's a found footage movie, and probably one of the better ones I've seen in the last several years, along with Frankenstein's army. So uh, anyway, uh, Blair Witch Project, again, you've, it, that one there for some reason seems to really polarize the audience. Uh, on the one side, you have the people that think it is absolutely terrifying because of the minimalist approach that it does take where we don't really see anything. We just, it's just noises and uh, the creep out factor, as well as the black and some of the black and white photography, and just the very low low rent looking feel of the whole thing. I was terrified, and I think it is still effective. The other side of the fence, it's oh, you don't show anything, and it's not scary because it's just a bunch of people running around the woods. Well, that to me was scary, and uh, it still is a, a fantastically made creepy movie. I really like that movie. Uh, 66 is John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. Oh, I skipped one. Oh, boy. Well, now I've messed everything up. Now the show's just officially gone off the rails. Uh, back up here. Now you know what 66 is. 67 is Sleepaway Camp. This is the 1984, I think, 84 slasher movie. And um, it has several sequels. This one is definitely the best, mainly because it is not played for laughs like parts two and three were. Uh, this one here is straight up uh, seriousness, although uh, it is extremely dated and cheesy and of its time. But that adds to the charm of this movie. The reason to watch Sleepaway Camp, however, is the ending, which I will not give away. Just in the off chance that there's someone out there listening to this show that has not seen the movie, do yourselves a, do yourselves a favor. Go out. Buy the Scream Factory Blu-ray. It's a, it's a stunning transfer with great special features. And sit back late at night and watch this crazy thing unfold. And just to see how it ends is... Uh, honestly, it's one of the better horror endings. It's one of the best en- uh, horror endings of, of a movie that I can remember. Uh, it's maybe not my favorite ending, but the ending of that movie makes it. It turns it into from a your typical summer camp slasher movie into something uh, much more dark and bizarre. And I loved it. I thought that it was, it was great. So that the, the ending specifically got it on my top 100 as well as just the whole nostalgia feel of it. It's very, again, it's very of its time and it is just, it follows all the standard summer camp slasher movie piece, uh, puzzle pieces that fit together perfectly. And I, it works for me. It it's I I like it. So okay, sixty six is John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, and this is one of not my favorite, but one of my favorite John Carpenter movies. Uh, this one here has actually grown on me. It it's taken a little time. Uh, the first the first couple viewings, I thought it was kind of slow moving, and it is, and uh, a bit boring. Uh, and then the more I watched it, the more 
it started to creep me out, the whole, the subject matter. And that is that they find the Prince of Darkness. They find the devil in the basement of this abandoned church. And there's fantasy, science fiction-y, green goo figured into it. And time travel, uh, it's so out there. And Alice Cooper and Bugs. And I think it is a great movie. And and John Carpenter has this way of uh, of coming out with these really bizarro, I don't want to say non-ending, but these really bizarro, dark, okay, what exactly happened? Like they, he cuts the movie off 10 seconds before something major is going to happen. And I think it works brilliantly in these movies, especially Prince of Darkness. I would not have changed that ending for anything. I love the way it, it uh, ended. And so it's a great movie. Uh, very, very worthy of your Blu-ray Scream Factory purchase. And 65, another Scream Factory release, is From Beyond. And this would be based on the H.P. Lovecraft story and directed by Stuart Gordon. And Jeffrey Combs is in it and uh, Bart Crampton. And uh, it's just so bizarro and great. And to me, this is kind of a... Um, an unofficial sequel to uh, Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. It, to me, it feels like that. Um, it, same actors. Uh, granted, the storyline is different. It still has that feel um, that I thought was so 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 good and so incredibly graphic. Even the R-rated version, which that's the one that I watched uh, many 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 times. Uh, it's still so hardcore. And then the unrated version uh, that we see a lot more gore in is, wow. So this is proof that practical effects always trump CGI. Always. Um, okay, 64 is Street Trash. And Street Trash, um, this is one I debated on putting on my list. But, you know, I have such a history with this movie. And it was it came to me as such a surprise when I saw it the first time. Um, I wasn't I, – I didn't figure that the cover uh, – that the movie itself would justify how cool the cover was. And uh, this is one that I kept on seeing at the, the old VHS store and I'm like, I have got to see this movie. And there was a big warning on the box, you know, warning, graphic violence, you know, kids no, or no one under 17 should view this and that some dude is melting into a toilet and it's so cool looking – um, and then the movie lived up to the box and the Fangoria articles that I was rereading every time I would go to the local bookstore or magazine shop. Uh, it lived up to that and then some. And it was funny, very funny um, and extremely dark. And it goes from horror to comedy to action to it's just a mishmash of a whole bunch of things. But basically a bunch of homeless people stumble uh upon this really, really cheap liquor and it makes them either melt or explode. And I loved it. I thought it was incredibly, uh, incredibly unique. And it feels like, a, a and I know it wasn't a big budget movie, but it feels like a bigger budget trauma movie. And I mean that in the most loving way possible. Uh, it just, it's very, in, in very poor taste. Uh, but, but in a, Good way. And if you watch it, you'll see why. And I believe Synopsy released this on Blu-ray. And again, it's another great transfer with 
tons of special features and just how the movie got made and uh, the unique things that they did to get this movie made. It's very fascinating. A lot of these movies, the low-budget nature of them, um, it just lends to such good storytelling as far as like behind-the-scenes stuff and the ingenuity that goes into these movies to actually get them made because uh, a lot of these movies are, you know, it's... They're underfunded, and the the conditions of the you know shooting was are they're not good. It's not like these big budget professional movies that you know that okay here's a hundred people on the crew or two hundred people on the crew or whatever it takes and hundred million dollar budget and uh, you know big special effects. It's like okay we've got eight hundred or five hundred thousand dollars to make this movie and it's this and this is a pretty big movie for a low budget. Uh, but how are we going to pull this off? How are we going to get the good special effects? How are we going to get you know good performances? And it works. It works very, very well. So I highly recommend uh, sinking the money into Street Trash. Uh, it's a very unique movie. Trust me. And it is one that I'm glad I, that it never got a sequel or a remake. I like that it stands on its own. It's its own thing. And the end. That's it. Uh, okay. 63 is Hot Tub Time Machine. And, you know, I, I, another one that I wasn't sure if I should put this on my top 100, but I go back to this movie more than almost any comedy. Uh, in fact, every comedy that is on my top 100 is one that I will watch on a at least yearly basis because comedies aren't my main, uh, the main types of movies that I watch. So the comedies that I like, I really, really like, and I can watch them over and over. And time, Hot Top Time Machine is one of them. And I think part of it is because of, uh, the time that the movie is set. It's set in the 80s, and I grew up in the 80s. Uh, that was probably my favorite period of time as a teenager, and uh, they nailed this so well. They nailed the time so well, and the music, it's, you know, they de- they have the hair metal thing going on in the movie. It's extremely R-rated, uh, but the story is really cool. I, I like that it. it's a science fiction-y, raunchy, back-to-the-future type of thing. And that's kind of what it is. And I thought it was great. So uh, it probably didn't make a whole lot of other people's top 100s of all time. But uh, for me, at least at this point in my life, it is definitely on the top 100. So check it out. John Cusack is great in it, by the way. Um, honestly, this might be the last really, really good role that that guy's done, uh, which is sad because he's a great actor, but he just seems to be phoning it in lately. And I, I hate to see that. I wish that he would do more of these movies. Um, and I will go on record as saying that the sequel, while somewhat enjoyable, um, eh, pales in comparison. However, the ending, and I be I do mean like the end credits ending, are fantastic. And enough reason to watch the whole movie uh, for those, you know, sparse laughs. It was okay. But that ending, the last five minutes in the end credits are fantastic. So check that one out. Um but especially check out Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, 62 is Die Hard. And this is the original Bruce Willis vehicle from 1987. Uh, again, this is one that even uh, people that don't listen to this show, uh, who hasn't heard of Die Hard? Who hasn't seen Die Hard? It is not only a great Christmas movie, it's just a great action movie. And it is a great action movie template that has been uh done time and time and time and time and time and time again. And uh, rightly, it, rightly so. It's a great movie. Um, I'm not going to go over what it's about because you probably know what it's about. But I will say that 
Uh, I am one of the very few that I like all of the sequels. Uh, two, three, four, and five, while is definitely the weakest link of the bunch, um, with extreme low expectations, it's decent for a watch. And I know that most people, yeah, my co-host included, probably wouldn't agree with me on that, but it's okay. I mean, it's it's a train wreck, but it's a watchable train wreck. So anyway, die hard. And honestly, I, I've been hearing rumors about a prequel possibly, which I don't think is a good idea. Um, honestly, I don't know where you would want to go with the Die Hard franchise at this point. Bruce Willis is getting up there in age. Uh, personally, I mean, maybe one more sequel, but go out with a bang, like literally maybe have the whole world going up in flames or something in it, um, or just be done. It's uh, The law of diminishing returns definitely applies to this franchise with the last one that came out, so maybe it's time to hang it up, uh, but what do I know? If they come out with another Die Hard, I'll watch it, I'm sure. Uh, Okay, 61 is Joe Dante's The Howling, one of my favorite werewolf movies of all time. Not my favorite, but close. Uh, It's early 80s, which I like, and it's got fantastic special effects, and uh, practical effects. In fact, uh, while it doesn't, uh, it, it has uh, similar but different effects to Amer- an American world in London, the uh, John Landis movie that came out in, I believe, the same year or a year later, right around the same time. Uh, obviously, The Howling and American World in London are both kind of comedies. They're both about werewolves, but the tones are completely different. And um, I, I love the tone of the original Howling and the practical effects and the cool, there's a little bit of stop motion in there and it's great. Another one that you should pick up on Screen Factory. They did a great job with the special features and the transfer. It's a great movie. Um, I will say this about the Howling sequels and there are many of them and I've seen them all. Uh, There's actually a couple that are worth checking out. If you have extremely low expectations, Howling 5, The Rebirth is a, is decent as a uh, whodunit type of thing in a big castle. Uh, they focus more on the actors and very, very, very little of actual werewolf is shown in that movie, but it actually works okay. Uh, part three was the Australian one, which is just bizarro, but kind of enjoyable in its own comedic way. I didn't like part two. Part four was a snooze fest, uh, in my opinion. I thought it was very boring. Although, from what I hear, that's very that uh, is very similar to the book as far as like the the storyline of the book is Howling Four. Uh, I've watched it a couple times. It has a couple good werewolf scenes in it, but it's. Eh. And then after part five, there was Howling the Freaks or part six, the Freaks. And then uh, New Moon Rising, or something. From there on out, it, things go downhill fast, and it gets to uh, unwatchable levels. So um, anyway, that's the Howling. That's the Howling series. If you only watch one, obviously watch part one. It's great. Okay, number sixty is Inglorious Bastards. This is Quentin Tarantino, and I. It's it's not my favorite movie from him, but man, it's close. It's great. Um, in fact, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm guessing that there's probably another another Tarantino movie in, in my list somewhere. Um, but anyway, Inglorious Bastards is great. Uh, it, uh, it takes the, at, at this point, classic 
storytelling techniques of Quentin Tarantino and uh, just ups the level exponentially. I love the fact that it's set in Nazi-occupied uh, Germany and France and World War II, and it's funny and it's graphic and it's so well written and the ending is just insanely over the top and I loved it. It's great. Uh, so yeah, Inglorious Bastards, fifty nine. And I know that this is way down on the list, but you know what? Art is subjective, and these movies just kind of this is where they fit into my list. And I'm sure that on a lot of other people's lists, they, some of these movies would not obviously not be included at all, or they would be way, way, way higher. Like this one, 59 is The Godfather, Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. And I personally think that this is the best of The Godfather uh, series. I know a lot of people say, well, part two is better, or parts one and two are great uh, as one long, long movie. Um, You know, I kind of agree with that, but at the same time, looking at them as separate movies, I do like The Godfather better, Um, slightly better. Godfather 2 is still a great movie, but not quite as good as... Uh, as the first one, and Godfather Three, while still watchable, it does su- suffer from some some uh, pacing issues and some acting issues. And it's still a good movie. I'm not going to hate on that movie, but uh, it's definitely a step down from the first two. But the first one, uh, the horse head, and uh, it's just a cool movie. So anyway, Fifty Eight is another Schwarzenegger movie. That would be Predator from 1987. And uh, this is still, to me, the best Predator movie. And I will consider the Alien vs. Predator movies, I consider those a part of the Alien, or I'm sorry, part of the Predator series, as well as the newest Predators movie, which is a great movie. I've seen that numerous times. It's a fun movie. But for me, the original Predator is still the best. Uh, Jesse Ventura, Carl Weathers, a host of other just big, badass uh, Marines going in to take care of business in some South American uh, country, and here comes the alien, and uh, all mayhem breaks loose. And it's great. It's a great movie. Um, this is actually a really good um, a, a good way to turn, uh, turn things on their head in the movie, as far as the first half of the movie is a straight-up action movie, uh, and a really good action movie with good guys versus bad guys in the, in the jungle. And then uh, at the midway point, it, this is kind of like from Dust to Dawn, actually. In the midway point, things completely change, and now we are into sci-fi horror versus action. It's still kind of an action movie, but uh, it goes to these big dudes being hunted down by this big alien predator that's ripping them to shreds. Uh, so I, I like how they did that. I like how it... it uh, it jumped from one genre to the to another one, and it did it flawlessly. And it's a great movie. Um, and speaking of From Dusk to Dawn, number fifty-seven is From Dusk to Dawn, and this is Robert Rodriguez, and of course Quentin Tarantino helped out with that movie, and he stars in the movie along with George Clooney and uh, a host of Car- Harvey Keitel's in it, and Danny Trejo's in it, and it is just, just uh, Cheech is in it. Um, it's so great. It's such a great movie. I've seen it so many times. Uh, and like Predator, it is another one where the first half is, uh, is a particular genre and then it switches to a completely different genre. So the first half is heist movie. Second half is straight up vampire or horror gore awesomeness. And uh, it still holds up. Even some of the special effects, the CGI, this is 
this is back when CGI was relatively new. Some of the CGI in this, while a bit dodgy, it still works with how it's presented on screen. Um, also, a quick shout out to Tom Savini. He's Sex Machine in the movie, and he is one of my favorite characters in the movie. He gets uh, some great lines, and he gets a great special effects makeup send-off in the movie that I really, really liked. But uh, it's so much fun. The score is so good in this movie. Not just the score, but the soundtrack. Everything about the movie is top tier, and it still holds up to this day. It has a couple sequels that are entertaining enough, um, but you don't have to see them to a, you know, they're not ones that you have to go out to get. Um, the TV show I got through, I think maybe a little over half of the first episode and I hated it. It was everything that the movie was. It was like a fan film version of that. And I'm like, what? And they were literally going through the same, the same steps as the movie did, except uh, on a TV feeling fan film. T- it, it didn't work at all. And maybe it got better. I don't know, but I tuned out and turned it off the end. Okay. Anyway, um, moving on. Number 56 is the abyss. This is James Cameron's movie. And I would do, do want to say this for sure, just so that you do know, I'm only talking about the extended director's cut, the theatrical version, which I saw, I think, probably twice, once in the theater and then once on VHS, is still a good movie, but this would not be in my top 100. The director's cut, however, changes things a lot and adds a lot more stuff in it and a lot more effects, and it is an epic, epic underwater adventure that sadly still has yet to see the light of day on high-definition Blu-ray, and it is pathetic that this movie has not been released yet, along with True Lies. And I blame that solely on James Cameron. Uh, I know that there is a theatrical version that did get a remaster job and uh, is on uh, Cinemax HD, or one of the one of the paid premium uh, HD channels. I'm not going to watch that. I'm going to watch the the uh, director's cut only. And so please, someone release this movie. It's so good and it's so epic in scope and um, groundbreaking CGI effects for its time that from 1989, they still hold up. So uh, highly recommend The Abyss. Check it out. Uh, unfortunately, I believe the only way you can watch right now, you can only watch the the, uh, the extended cut is on DVD. So if that's the only version that you can watch it on, then watch it on that. Um, I'm going to try to get through uh, a couple more, but I'm going to probably only get through one more. Uh, and that would be number 55, Fight Club. And uh, this is this is David Fincher's movie, obviously. And this is one that, um, uh, that took me a second viewing to fall in love with. I watched it in the theater and this, this is interesting. I watched this in the theater with people that didn't like it. They hated it actually. And were grumbling the whole way through. And because of it, I didn't like it either. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you watch a movie with someone or a group of people that you can all tell hate it. Uh, especially back, this is many years ago. Uh, I was like, yeah, that did kind of suck. And my buddy co-host Eric Marner, he walked out behind me in the same theater and he was like, that was awesome. I'm like, what? That sucked. Well, many years later, I got it on, uh, I got it on DVD, uh, on, on the cheap, and I watched it, and I'm like, oh my lord, this is brilliant. What was I thinking watching it with these people that obviously would hate something like this? It's so good, and this is one that I think gets better with age. 
the older it gets, the better it gets. I've watched it several times now. I now have it on Blu-ray. And it is just a fantastic piece of, uh, of art captured on film. And I love it. I can't stress enough uh, how important this is to this movie is to cinema. It is such a unique, uh, just unique movie. Instead of it just being a brawler type movie, which is what I thought it was going to be at first, it turns into this psychological... It's, it's so out there and so different, and I loved it. So anyway, Fight Club is number 55, and that's all I've got time for on this show. So uh, I appreciate uh, – if you listen to Movie Freaks, I appreciate you giving the time to still listen to this show as I'm kind of covering the same ground or similar ground. But I still wanted to go over it myself with my own little uh, – tidbits on these movies that I didn't over on uh, Movie Freaks. So, but that's going to do it for this Top 100 Countdown for this episode. And this is number episode number 100. So congratulations to me. Uh, you can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com for any questions or comments or anything that you want to talk about or movies I should see, movies I should, should not see and stay away from or all that good stuff. Um, and of course, make sure to listen to uh, Eric Marner and I over and Jess Hicks right now. Uh, hopefully, we'll continue. Uh, she'll continue being on our show. But Jess Hicks, uh, who I work with at the Nightlight Cinema up in Akron, she is now a third member on our show, and we love having her on the show. And she adds uh, a, a different flair, and I, I love that. So I'm glad that she's on the show, and we're going to be doing, doing another taping on Wednesday night. So please stay tuned for another episode of Movie Freaks coming up very, very soon. And of course, our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks um, doing their own thing, uh, covering a lot of... Actually, right now, they're covering a lot of uh, old classics, uh, as well as some new release stuff. So I always like to hear... Uh, kind of like some of the new stuff that's out in the theaters, like what's good, what should I watch, what should I stay away from, what should I wait for Netflix, all that good stuff. You can find all that stuff over on uh, on their podcast. And all of these can be found, obviously, on iTunes. So that is going to do it for my show today. Uh, and until next time, I'm Eugene Weaver. Thanks for listening. <laughs>